Matthew Mitchum's remarkable gold is one of our greatest ever Olympic moments. Nobody goes into the all-conquering Chinese diver's backyard and performs the highest single dive score in Olympic history, especially not someone with a past so troubled. Drugs, depression, self-harm, sexual identity crisis. Just to make it to Beijing was astonishing enough. So how did he pull off one of the great heists in Olympic history? And how has he turned around a lifetime of destructive habits to take aim at a third Olympics in Rio? Matthew, welcome to Off The Record. Let's talk Beijing and your incredible gold medal win in the 10 metre platform. Is that a good place to start, do you reckon? It seems like a pretty good place to start for me. Um, it's one of the greatest moments in my entire life. <laughs> um, actually, I think it's going to be very hard to top. It was a heck of a journey to get there because it had so many ups and downs and the odds of you being an Olympic champion as a young boy would have been pretty big, I reckon. Slim to none. <laughs> They're the best ones though, aren't they? Yeah, they make, they make for good stories. They, they do, and, and what a story it turned out to be. 20 years of age? I was 20 in Beijing, yeah. That maturity, under pressure. I'd retired from the sport at 18, like with no intention of returning whatsoever. And, you know, I ended up taking a year off and then I ended up moving to Sydney and I only started diving 15 months before Beijing. So to go from just trying to make the Olympic team to actually getting an Olympic medal was like the best moment of my entire life. You had enormous opposition and China were dominating like never before. The realist in me was like, oh, the best I could hope to get would be a bronze medal. I thought we might go to the final and, and relive a couple of dives and what better way to start than you're in ninth position and it's that second dive. Do you want to take us through it? Okay, so my second dive was the uh, back three and a half somersaults tuck. This is the time for the young Australian to make a move. Oh yes. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty good dive. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. And I, by the look at my face when I surfaced, I knew that it was a good dive too. Almost the perfect dive and just what he was looking for. So, oh, what a good reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, don't you? <laughs> Four tens for Matthew Mitchum. That is magnificent. My fifth dive, my second last dive, was the arm stand back one and a half twist. And that was a very good dive as well. I got nines for that. And then the last round. And a window opens for you, doesn't it? Well... You were 32 points behind coming to the last round. Yeah, but I wasn't keeping track of the score, so I didn't know any of this. And I was standing in the stairwell waiting for my turn and Joe Lushin does his dive, and all I heard was the crowd go, ooh. And I knew something big had happened, and so I blocked my ears and went la la la, because I didn't want to hear the scores. I didn't want it to impact me or affect the way I dived at all. So yeah, then it was my turn. It's the biggest moment of his young lifetime. So when you get up there, you're, what, what are you thinking? Well, I must have been prescient enough to have known that millions of eyes were going to be watching this moment because you can see me doing my hair, like neatening my hair at the sides, you know, I want to look good, no matter what the outcome. <laughs> and I'm standing on the end of the platform and I'm thinking of all my little cue words, um, you know, uh, tall to make sure that I jump straight up, 
um, and I'm imagining two brick walls on either side of me to make sure that I don't twist off to the side. Tall, two and a half twist, round pike, fast arms. His mother Vivian, his brother Marcus, and many of his 20 million or so countrymen holding their breath like him. And then just before I went, I said to myself, now just relax, enjoy yourself and have fun. That is stunning. And it was good. <laughs> now it's gonna be up to the judges. What a dog. Your hats. What a dog, this could be for Olympic gold. In diving with the entry, the way you, you save it to make sure that there's no splash, you do this kind of little tumble under the water. And the difference between doing a perfect entry and doing one that's, you know, gonna send out some splash from your feet, is like one or two degrees. And it was in that one or two degree range. And so, like, the dive felt good, but I was under the water going, you know, <laughs> was it good? Was it as good as it felt? You know, what would this mean for me? Uh, is this moment gonna be embarrassing or is this gonna be the best moment of my life? When I finally broke the surface, I just saw the crowd going bananas. And that's when I knew, and you can see it on this footage. It's the highest score in Olympic diving history. Mm. Yeah, it was four tens. I don't even have to see it. It was four tens, two nine and a halves, and a nine. Yeah. It's genius. A hundred and it was 112.1 points. They say there's just about no such thing as perfection in sport. I think we've seen the closest possible thing. Have you got your medal? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, of can, course I've got it. With can me. I have a look? I haven't seen your gold medal. Um, I've got a Commonwealth Games gold medal in there too, but we don't care about that one. Well, we, well, do, we, we do, will, but we do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the reason why we're here is is Beijing. I present you with the Olympic gold medal for diving. Well, that's not going to happen, but. Jeez, I tell you what, it's a good feeling. Yeah, oh, totally. It is a good feeling. I remember standing behind the dais just before that medal was put around my neck and I thought, all of the shit has been worth it. Like, a decade or more of training six hours a day, six days a week, um, all of the dietary stuff, all of the giving up on your social life, all of the fights with the coach because you know, I felt that it was just constant criticism and, you know, even a retirement and then coming back, like, just everything, all of the shit had been worth it. The whole thing was, um, I don't know, it was a one in a trillion. Yeah, it's special. After the high of Beijing came the low. What happened, Matthew? I was already predisposed to depression. Like, I'd already suffered a pretty profound period of depression throughout my teenage years, from about 14 to 18, which is partly what led to my retirement in the first place. Um, I guess because I'd never actually addressed the underlying causes of my depression, you know, the core issues surrounding my depression, it never really went away, which I thought it did. You know, I naively thought that, yep, I've had depression once, it'll never happen again. Um, but it really just lay dormant, waiting for, you know, its opportunity to arise again. And, um, and I think it stemmed from, um, like, I remember as a kid thinking, like, in need of validation, I think, but thinking maybe if I'm the best in the world at something, then, like, everyone will love me and 
So I think that was a real emotional driving force behind why I did keep diving for so many years. My depression twisted it into, yes, I was getting lots of attention, but my depression had made me think that it was only the medal that had any intrinsic value and that myself as a person was completely worthless and that people only liked the medal and not me. And the depression came back. How bad did things get at that point for you? Um, <clears throat> as a teenager, the way it manifested was in with self-harm and, um, like, I went through great lengths to hide m all my um, cuts and scars and stuff. Like, I, it wasn't a cry for attention because, like, I was wearing long-sleeve shirts in, in a Brisbane summer, you know, just to kind of conceal it all. And when I decided that that was not... that I couldn't do that anymore, then it became alcohol abuse and then it became drug abuse. And when the depression started to creep back, I just went back to the last crutch that I'd used to medicate my feelings as a teenager, and that was drugs. The drugs were just to get me through life, you know, like by zoning me out so that I didn't have to feel my feelings. It was never to enhance performance or anything like that. And so I made sure that I would be clean for every competition, and, um, and I would promise myself with every cell in my body that I would not start using again when I got home from the competition. But I could never... I could never stay clean because I just couldn't bear to live with my own feelings, my own depression. But you are now. Oh, yeah, I'm a couple of years sober now. Like, I don't even drink anymore because it makes it too easy to, to go back to old habits. You came down to Sydney when you quit diving and you met your partner, Lachlan. It's been a, a long and enduring and great relationship, I think. Yeah, he's been the only constant in my life for the last nine years, so... And I've put him through a lot of stuff, like, a lot of stuff. Um, what? <laughs> well, you know, um, all the addiction stuff. Um, Has he been across all of that? Hmm. What role has he played? Um... <clears throat> He helped me try to get clean. Like, I tried to get clean by myself for a good, um, you know, three to six months or whatever. Um, yeah, three months, I think. And then he tried to help me for another three months. And then when we realised that we couldn't do it by ourselves, um, that's when, you know, I reached out to my manager and, and she helped me get into a rehab. And, um, you know, he was there to help you know, throughout the whole journey because um, I didn't have any um, room to make mistakes. But do you f know where you'd be without him right now? <clears throat> I don't know... I'd kind of hate to think, actually. Yeah. Um, I I'd possibly be dead. Really? Yeah, I... Yeah. Bless his heart, eh? Mm. Yeah. Can we go back? Childhood a bit, and what were you searching for as a little boy, do you think? <clears throat> um, validation. Um, I felt pretty... Neglected as a child because my mum was um, just was sick all the time. Uh, she was a chronic alcoholic and she had chronic fatigue and 
you know, was just dealing with her own stuff. And um, so, I, yeah, I felt very neglected. And, and, um, and so I think I latched onto sport as my ticket to specialness. So even as a little boy, you wanted to be the best in the world at something? Something, anything. I didn't care what it was. Um, and, yeah, sport just happened to come along and I happened to be pretty good at it. So I put all of my eggs in that one basket. And that second-hand trampoline that Mum got, eh? Did, mm. that, did that make a big difference, just to have something to work at and be good at? Uh, it was actually Mum who taught me, you know, how to do lots of cool tricks. Um, Lord knows how she learnt them, but um, before long I was, you know, doing as many back salts on the trampoline in a row as I could until I got so dizzy that I fell off. <laughs> um, and so my mum and my grandma thought it would be a good idea for me to get trampoline lessons before I hurt myself too badly. And that was the beginning of it all. And, and trampolining was the other thing that I could do that was completely quiet um, so that I wouldn't um, be roused at by mum because I wasn't allowed to make any noise in the house or she would go ballistic. You've talked about validation today. Were you popular at school? Were you... You smiled. <laughs> what have I said? What have I, said? Um, I was pretty awkward as a kid. Um, like, I didn't grow up with any kids in my area. Um, so, and, like, I, yeah. I mean, I could interact with adults very well, very easily, because there were always adults in my life. Um, but I just didn't know how to relate to kids very well. And then, you know, once um, uh, sexuality started coming into play, um, like that, you know, I don't know, kids can just be evil, you know? They smell a weakness and they just make a beeline for it. And, um, and so that was another thing that kind of ostracised me as a kid a bit. I'd known that I had attractions to boys from a very young age, um, but just by osmosis, I guess, um, I'd sort of um, come to the understanding just from that society felt like being gay was not as good as being straight. And so um, I tried to condition myself out of being gay um, because I'd, you know, I'd read about um, Pavlov's conditioning. And so whenever I tried to condition myself out of it, I kept this rubber band around my wrist. And every time I had a gay thought, I would snap the rubber band to try and associate pain with the gay thoughts. Yeah, I, like, I eventually came to the point where I realised that this wasn't helping. Um, when I finally plucked up the courage to tell Mum, her, um, her very sympathetic response was, well, duh. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was just amazing. It was the best, best. Like, we laughed and laughed for so long. Um, because apparently she'd always known, because, you know, I used to wear leotards and Spice Girls was my favourite band and <laughs> there are a few telltale signs, I guess. Um, but, yeah, she was totally cool with it and she made sure that I knew that she loved me no matter what and, um, and that that was absolutely not an issue whatsoever. A big headline broke just before the Beijing Olympics. Out, proud and ready for gold. What effect did that have on you? I wanted Australia to know exactly who they were supporting should they choose to support me. And if they didn't want to support me because of who I was, so be it. But I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna, yeah, sacrifice my own integrity for the spotlight. Um, and that was the best decision I ever made in my entire life, I think. 
like the amount of support that I got from the gay community after that that story was published was just incredible. I just felt so grateful for that support. You probably helped a lot of people. Did it, did that help you in Beijing? Do you think with that the fact that the that wasn't going to be an issue, you didn't have to hide from anything. I'd be lying if I said that um, that the thought hadn't crossed my mind that it would save a really awkward coming out moment after the games. Should I do well? <clears throat> um, and I think we've seen other athletes stuck in that position. Um, so I feel extremely grateful that I was gay before I was famous. It's a great way of putting it. Isn't it? Yeah. You've talked about mum a bit, Vivian, and, and, and her battle with alcoholism. And I think she was, am I right in saying that she had Asperger's syndrome, but that wasn't diagnosed until a fair bit later? Yeah. Which probably explained a few things, is that right? Yeah. Um, it, that diagnosis didn't come until, you know, I was well into my adult years. And, yeah, it explained a lot. And, um, and that, that diagnosis has really helped her move forward in her life She's four years, four years sober now too. She decided to stop drinking in solidarity with me so that we could do our whole journey of recovery together. That made us incredibly close to be each other's support network in sobriety. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the best gift my mother could have ever given me. One of the things that amazes me about your story is that you did live a hard life, I mean, and you played hard, and yet you must have trained so hard to be so good. That's, that's a gift. Yes, um, I was never one to do things by halves. Um, yeah, it was a very, like 100% is kind of all I knew. Like I only knew extremes, extreme lows or extreme highs as a teenager. I think, you know, I was always a bit of a, an adrenaline junkie so, you know, it was, you know, one metre was never enough for me. It was straight to the 10 metre. Well, you're still winning medals. Um, and I see that you intend to go to Rio. I do. Can you get there? Yeah, I think so. Are you committed? <clears throat> yeah, I'm committed. Physically, it's a brutal sport, though, isn't it? Totally. You've, you've, you've suffered more than most, I would have thought. Shall I rattle them off? <laughs> It's your show. Uh, um, what have I done? I've had three stress fractures in my back. I've torn my abdominal muscle more times than I can remember. Um, I've torn my gripping tendon in my elbow. Um, I have broken fingers and toes from hitting the boards or missing my grabs. Dislocated shoulders um, from bad entries. Did you pick the right sport? I think so, actually. Um, I would never take it back for anything. In 2010, after the Commonwealth Games, I was forced to three months of bed rest to let these stress fractures in my back heal. And, uh, and I just was going stir crazy. And so I bought a cheap $24 toy ukulele and taught myself how to play it by watching YouTube videos. And then you play in London and everyone hears how brilliant you are. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I uploaded a couple of videos onto YouTube and um, they just went around the world like wildfire. And that, that was a huge surprise and um, 
and yeah, and that's what kind of led to me being asked to perform a couple of spots here and there in um, in cabaret shows, and um, and what eventually led to the Twists and Turns stage show. So tell us a little bit about being a, about the cabaret and um, what it means to you. It's based on yeah, it's based on the book that I released at the end of 2012. Um, or twists and turns. Uh, the majority of the book was written through that me rehabilitating my addiction, you know, and, and uh, me going through my journey of personal development and, and becoming a better, stronger person. And it's equally um, happy-go-lucky and joyous and irreverent as it is um, poignant towards the end. Do you think your name's always going to be up in lights? Um, <clears throat> hopefully, you know, because I do love entertaining people, um, but I think the motivation behind it is uh, a bit healthier than what it used to be, you know? I'm not looking for people, outside people to validate me anymore. Now I just love bringing joy to people. So, yeah, it's a much more honest um, reason behind why I want to work in entertainment. What a great story. Thank you. And not even half over. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Bruce. Do you think you might be able to... I would Could you take to. us out? Yes, I can. All the single ladies, 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 all the single ladies. Now put your hands up. I'm up in the club, we just broke up. I'm doing my own little thing. Decided to dip and now you're gonna trip because another brother noticed me. I'm up on him, he's up on me, don't pay him any attention Cause you had your turn and now you're gonna learn what it really feels like to miss me Cause if you liked it then you should've put a ring on it If you liked it then you should've put a ring on it Wop-wop-oh, 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 w